0: Time to podcast.
1: Welcome everyone into the hypertime, the hypertime to podcast. I am your host, Joshua Miller, getting an episode off the ground that, after life got in the way numerous times, I wasn't sure if we were going to get recorded in time. But here we are, and to help me do this is my co-host, Alan Muir. Alan, how are you? I'm good. Good, good, good. I know. I am tired, so I'm hoping I can get this done somewhat coherently. Um, I know you have to, you have another podcast to prep for here in like 12 hours, so... Hopefully we can knock this all out pretty quick. And so, is there anything you want to get to before we kind of dive into zero hour?
0: Yeah, the interview that you did with uh, Dan Jergens, writer mm-hmm. and artist of this story. For a long time, I really hate, really hated it. But after listening to his why he did like example, my my biggest gripe is. What would it do to the JSA?
1: Yeah, the JSA were done pretty dirty in this event.
0: <laughs> but his explanation of... Like, you have multiple eras of characters who have been created since the characters that were contemporary of Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. It was actually... It actually was a brilliant move and had me thinking a lot of, of, of uh, 5G. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of similarities
1: that I, I wanted to ask about, but I'm like, no, I don't know if that's in bad taste considering DC kind of shelved all that. <laughs> so, though he kind of touches on that with his generation's conclusion. I I, I have not read it yet. Yeah, he kind of does something there at the end that, I'm, I'm not going to spoil it, but he does kind of create something that sort of explains away some of the problems that would keep coming up.
0: I read uh, the first issue of Generations, uh, Generation Shattered, mm-hmm. and I made the mistake of actually of skipping. I accidentally skipped Forge, and read Infinite Frontier, oh, mm-hmm. issue zero, and I and I just felt like I, I'm missing something. So, <laughs> yeah, I would suggest um, if you're curious to see.
1: The way they're kind of handling it currently, I would definitely read Generations, but yeah, I think he was kind of given in a tough task to try and fix the timeline back in the nineties because it was the JSA are like the perfect example of some of the problems that were coming up back then. So you just said mainly the JSA issue thing was the problem that you were having
0: liking the series that and. The look, the look of comics back in the 90s. See, I think part of it is that
1: since I grew up with it, I didn't really mind. I mean, some of the character designs are definitely a little over the top, (laughs) you know, very 90s Guy Gardner in particular. I I hated that. armor He had. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, Zero Hour is like the first real event that I remember uh, not even reading because the store I was getting comics at didn't carry the event book so i only could read like the tie-ins and stuff but i thought it was really cool bringing in like all these different alternate timelines you know i i showed you the man of steel issue with like all the different variations of batman coming in and all that i remember reading that and thinking like god this is so cool like getting to see all these different (laughs) characters that don't typically exist here and that was probably one of my favorite things about Zero Hour in general was just having like all these characters that shouldn't exist, but did exist like in previous years and all that showing up. It, I thought it was really cool. So Let's get into kind of how everything started. Um, before we do, I do want to recommend going back and listening to that interview with Dan Juergens. Um It was posted the first week of March. A lot of what he discussed there, I will probably end up running through here as well. I had all my show notes done like a month prior to interviewing Dan. So (laughs) some of what we talk here is going to be kind of repeating some of the stuff he touched on too. So, so for example, with zero hour, um, the origin kind of started after crisis on infinite earths sort of started breaking apart a little bit. Um, So crisis set out to streamline the continuity of DC comics in 1985, but less than 10 years later, we would start noticing problems with specifically aging of certain characters. For instance, characters like Hal Jordan and Oliver Queen were starting to show their age either through birthdays being recognized or certain physical characteristics definitely coming about that would show um, some aging.
0: And Dan Juergens mentioned that in the the interview, I I believe at least Oliver, Mm. them acknowledging him being in his forties
1: yeah which I mean, I guess looking back at it, you never really hear too many heroes getting like birthdays in comics, and I wonder if that's part of the reason why it's just you don't really want to tie too much of an age I mean to it
0: and then <laughs> with the uh hellblazer blo- uh, books john a John Constantine aged in real time it's mm-hmm. so like the thirty the thirty plus years that book was running or I'm not sure if it was 30, but the, I mean, the, the, I mean, the book lasted like 300, over over 300 issues, (laughs) but he aged to be in his fifties.
1: That's kind of a cool way to go about it. Obviously the same can't really work with some of these more major heroes, but you know, there's always a crisis that ends up reverting things back. And so, yeah, outside of like Hal and Oliver, another thing that was typically the problem was, as we mentioned, the Justice Society. And it was because these were heroes who existed in World War II and were still around. And they were typically drawn like they were still in maybe their 50s. But the world was taking place pretty currently. It was still, you know, the 90s in the books themselves. And so you have these heroes who existed back in the 30s. And they're only like 50 years old, 80 years later. So not even 80, I guess. Technically, if I did my math right, it'd be 60 years later. But whatever. Clearly, there's a problem there when it comes to how certain characters were aging. And so Dan took it upon himself to try and fix this. And this was something that was coming up in the offices as well. And there was certain stories he was trying to tell. And one in particular came during his run on, I think it was either Superman or Justice League when he was writing those. And he wanted to tell a story involving Hawkman that would flash back to a scene from Superman 18 where Hawkman had taken Superman to the remnants of the destroyed Krypton. But when he started bringing that scene up, the Hawkman editor denied them. Using that because according to the Hawkman editor, they had never met. So within what is it like 1986 to essentially 1993, they're already starting to reverse course on what is happening in the timeline, which is, I think that was the moment Dan was like, okay, we've got to figure this stuff out. And not only that, but just Hawkman in general is one of the characters that Dan considers to be one of the more problematic in the dc universe you know up until that point you know hawkman was an egyptian god he was someone from thanagar you know he was you know all these different alternative histories and for dan he had this idea that if it takes more than one sentence to explain a character's backstory it's too problematic And so that was one of the characters he wanted to try and tackle in this event as well to try and fix that up and streamline it a little bit. And I don't really read Hawkman, so I can't say whether or not that worked.
0: But (laughs) I mean, the most recent run that Robert Van did, I enjoyed it was it was him going through and exploring the consequences of his past lives.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Like they're all different versions of him like past versions like a kryptonian version for example hmm. and if you remember uh when they right before we were recording an episode news ca- the news just dropped that hawkman was getting canceled yep and i sent you the image for what the the next arc was going to be or the ending of that particular issue
1: was Venditti had a pretty i want to say his Run was received pretty well I think people really liked his ending
0: if I yeah um, right. <laughs> instead of relying on the same thing he sort of did a twist where Hawkman was had to deal with had something to do with God of death and Hawk Hawkman sacrificed himself like all, all his lives and it ended with and ends with him and I'm not sure if it's Kendra. Yeah, I think it was Kendra at the time. Or him just showing up in the back in the 40s at, with just society.
1: Yeah, Hawkman is one of those characters that I've wanted to like, but every time I get into it, I'm just so confused by who the character is and what his backstory is. And so maybe I'll pick up Venditti's run once it all pops up on DC Universe Infinite just to give it a try because... That's one of those characters I just bounce off of so hard every time I try and get into him.
0: Yeah, the the main reason I like Hawkman is Michael Shanks, who played Dan Jackson on Stargate SG-1, played him on Smallville. Oh, mm-hmm. And I always actually thought that Michael Shanks actually kind of fit the role of Carter Hall. Like, is probably best known for playing a character who is a... Archaeologist, and what is the mod, the uh, classic Carter Hall origin? He is a Egyptian who is reborn and is a archaeologist, but never never mind that.
1: <laughs> so yeah, I mean, with Hogman like Jurgens, when he was he you know he got upset about the whole idea that he basically was told that the story never existed. And so in his own words, I think this was in one of the wizard magazines when he was talking about zero hour, he says, and I quote, if you're reading a character, we restarted a year and a half ago, and you're already being told a story that didn't happen. You're getting the shaft that's irresponsible of the publisher. And I mean, I think he feels, I think he feels very close to how fans are treated with continuity in in general. Like, you know, he talked a little bit about it during the interview, but he's like, there comes a point where like some of it can be a little loosey goosey, but you can't just flat out like disregard it completely, especially so soon after something happens like this. And so he felt, you know, at that time that fans were starting to lose a sense of continuity with these characters in general And so when he brought the idea up to DC, they thought it was a good idea. Um, They teamed him up with editor Casey Carlson, who was someone else who noticed some of the problems going on, and they went to work on finding a solution to this whole problem. And that is how Zero Hour, A Crisis in Time, began. And so the way they kind of decided to work it up is by saying that Crisis on Infinite Earths technically never really ended. Once the Crisis on Infinite Earths series finished, the timeline was still screwed up. There were hiccups that would lead to such things as all these multiple Hawkmen showing up in DC. I think he also used this to explain some of the problems, I guess, Legion of Superheroes were having which, again, is another series I never really got into. And so for them, the way they decided to use the story is to have a character who noticed these hiccups in the timeline and was going to use those hiccups to control it and tear the whole timeline apart again. And this person, who in this case was extant, has an edge that the heroes don't, and that is he remembers the crisis in full. Whereas all the other characters only remember little bits and pieces of it, such as, you know, Barry Allen dying or the fight with the anti-monitor. But typically, the heroes at that time don't remember the full crisis. And then on top of all that, Jurgens wanted Zero Hour to feel more personal with the heroes. For example, in one of the tie-ins, there are two Barbara Gordons around, and one of them was never shot by the Joker and paralyzed. Another was a Krypton that never exploded. And so Jor-El and Lara visit the Kent farm with the intent to take Superman back to Krypton. And he kind of put Superman in a dilemma. What will he do? Will he go back home? Will he stay with Mom Pa Kent? who knows? So he wanted all these heroes to be put in a tough decision that didn't always involve using their fists. But their personal emotions to decide outcomes. And because event books are a great way to introduce new stories as well, the team would use Zero Hour as a point to introduce new stories that had been previously pitched with DC that they didn't really have a good way to introduce them. But DC still wanted to get those out there. And so Zero Hour was the good moment to get those out there, whether it was a primal force Um, I think maybe Anima was around that time too. just different characters that they needed to get a start and this was going to be how they decided to do it. And so Juergens would see what all these pitches were that were just kind of sitting out there and he would start fitting some of those into a zero hour mini series the best he could so that they could ease out into their own single issue books as well. And then the idea for parallax uh, was something quite simple Dan Jurgens was originally the one who came up with the idea to destroy Coast City. No, originally he wanted to use Central City during the reign of the Superman arc to be the catalyst for the end run there with Mongol and Cyborg Superman. And everything that happened with Coast City was supposed to happen with Central City. But the Flash team denied it. And so... Since the Green Lantern books were struggling at that time, both Mike Carlin, who is the Superman editor, and Kevin Dooley, who was the Green Lantern editor, decided that Coast City would be a good way to kind of jumpstart the books again and change them in a way that they could kind of experiment with something new. And since Dan knew that they were planning on changing Hal into a villain of sorts, he decided to use him in Zero Hour as well. Then when it came to Extant and Hank Hall, Juergens thought Hank was an easy way to link that character to past events in DC Comics, um, specifically Armageddon 2001. And so in Showcase 94, issues 8 and 9, he decided to fix him up a bit, especially seeing as the whole Hank Hall is monarch reveal was kind of a dumb decision that even Juergens wasn't happy with. And so he came up with the solution that was supposed to mimic what the original idea was for what Monarch was supposed to be. And then, you know, we start seeing other characters like the Ray and anima impulse damage and all of them who were starting to come to the forefront around this time. And this was a push by DC comics to start having a more youthful element to their heroes. Again, since as we mentioned, certain other characters were starting to age. And so Jurgens and the team tried to highlight some of these characters as well, especially damage, uh, to make more of their parts in the story impactful. Do you have something else to add, Alan? I think
0: I technically do have something to add, but I'm not sure if it's one one thing one of the other things that's synonymous with at least extant slash monarch as a character. There's always that the rumor that it was supposed to be Captain Adam,
1: mm-hmm,
0: and that d c figured out or d c was figured out, <laughs> and they they changed it last minute,
1: yep, yeah, I'm kind of surprised that they decided to d- make that change, <laughs> like if you have something planned for so long, I don't know why you would risk everything just to i guess surprise the fans. <laughs> don't ruin the story for a surprise, just. The story kind of starts with Showcase 94, number eight and nine, and it kind of tells Extant side along with Wave Rider. And so these two issues each have a story by Dan Jurgens with art by Frank Fosco. And it begins with Wave Rider and Hunter of the Linear Men discussing the events of Armageddon and the threat of Monarch or Hank Hall or Hawk from Hawk and Dove. I'm thinking at some point we should talk about Armageddon 2001 on the podcast, but I think I'm going to keep that a little further out (laughs) just because I, I was not a huge fan of Armageddon. So as Wave Ryan Hunter kind of go over all this, they are finally able to locate Monarch, who has been waiting for his sensors to trigger that they are watching him. And so he finishes kind of whatever he's doing as he feels them kind of rushing to his timeline And as they arrive, they, like, stop time around them, basically. But Monarch surprises them from behind and captures them in some sort of, like, energy field. He then decides to start shunting them all around the time stream. And he basically mentions that his goal is to rebuild time from the ground up. But currently, he is unable to fully control time travel. Now, Hunter realizes this as they bounce around from era to era, and Monarch is trying to convince the Linear Men to give him their ability to travel time easy, because who knows where they may end up otherwise if they don't do that. However, as they travel into the future, they land in the middle of this big war that's going on, and in doing so, Monarch is inadvertently blasted, which causes his tech to kind of short out for a moment, which gives... Hunter and Wave Waverider a chance to escape. But Monarch recaptures Hunter and Wave Rider is still free. And so Monarch threatens to kill Hunter unless he returns. But Waverider grabs Monarch and hopes to overload his tech with his own chronal energy. And instead, it gives Monarch all the information he needs. He thought he was only Hawk, but apparently in his body after he killed Dove, her powers and knowledge fused into him as well. And so now he can finally tap into that side as, as well. And so now he has the combination of powers from the Lords of Chaos and Order. And so his full power finally comes out. And that is ultimately what changes him into Extant. And so with Wave Rider weakened from this energy discharge, Extant easily steals Wave Rider's time band, allowing him to traverse time, though. Waverider never needed it, so I'm not sure why he actually had it on. Um, and then he hops into the time stream, and now with Extant on the loose and his plans to change time, the entire time stream is now threatened with a new crisis, which is where we go into zero hour. And normally with events, what you do is you start from number one and you go up. I actually really like the idea of them counting down And so, for the first issue, we start with zero hour number four. And this is where we are at the end of time. We see the time trapper is on the run from someone. We see him suddenly blasted multiple times as the attacker mentions something about, you all had your chance. All of you did. It's my turn now. He then remarks about the entropy at the end of time and how it crushes everything, including the time trapper, as he dissolves away. And then soon he'll use that entropy to his advantage. Something I noticed in Zero Hour is that it seems to hop around a lot. And so it kind of starts out almost immediately like that. Uh, We see Metron visiting Darkseid. Metron realizes something is messing with time. Specifically that it seems to be coming apart at the seams. Darkseid doesn't believe him. And Metron decides to leave and find allies who will actually pay attention to him. Uh, We see Gotham. And Joker is on the run as we see a Bat Shadow following behind. And as he gets pulled to the ground, we realize it's not Batman. It's Batgirl. Specifically, Barbara Gordon Batgirl. And this can be right because at this point, she had been shot in the killing joke. And we all know that she had, had become Oracle. And this is brought to the reader's attention when Batman and Robin show up. And they specifically ask her, like, you're walking you're up you know you're up and around you're not in a wheelchair and Batgirl claims that she was never shot much less paralyzed Joker uses this moment to get away and so Batman and Robin discuss with Batgirl that she shouldn't be here something weird is going on and all the while we see a younger version of Robin who if you read the zero hour tie-in of the Robin series you find out this is a younger Dick Grayson is watching overhead
0: yeah because i actually thought that was jason todd
1: yeah it kind of comes off that way a little bit kind of it's kind of like ominous in a way and especially having that tie like right there with the joker and everything it's kind of
0: (laughs) it it would fit better to have But then again i haven't read i didn't read the the tie-in so
1: yeah, for this, I did try and read some of the tie ins and most of them didn't really have a big impact on the event in general. So I wasn't going to talk about most of them here. Um, I did read Robin and for the most part, it's just Dick Grayson meeting up with Tim Drake after Tim almost anyways. Yeah, they end up running into each other and they go out and solve a case together. And it's basically Tim feeling like even at a younger age, Dick is a better Robin than he is. Making everything look easy with his acrobatics and whatnot. And so it's kind of this nice little issue of kind of comparing the two as Robin. I, I like all the Robins in some way, shape, or form. But and then from there, we visit Vanishing Point, the home of the Linearmen, and Matthew Ryder is watching the 71st century. Suddenly, the chronoscopes go blank, indicating every year from there and after have been destroyed. He tells Wave Rider and Hunter to go check it out as he fears whatever is destroying the time stream is working its way backward to the beginning of we flash, quite literally, to the 64th century on New Earth. The Flash is in a fight with Kadabra, which he was pulled out from the past. This happens in this happens at the very end of Flash number 94, thinking that the entropy heading towards Earth is Kadabra's doing. But Waverider and to show up to inform him that that's not the case. And Waverider is unable to close the rift, but Kadabra has an idea with his knowledge on time travel on how to stop this. And he thinks that Flash can run away from the Entropy Vortex and then double back around and run towards it. If he hits the right speed, the shockwave should cause the rift to collapse. Flash gives it a try, but fails and as he's running back into the entropy wave his body starts to dissipate in the entropy and in fact the whole universe at that point is taken by the entropy and destroyed but wave rider and hunter escape with flash's costume but this is this is one of those things that i kind of just have to ignore <laughs> because <laughs> you know as wave rider is trying to stop the flash before he fully dissipates his hand goes through goes through him entirely, like he's not able to grab onto anything. And then suddenly, he's able to grab onto the costume. Just a little bit of a little bit of something. I don't quite understand how he was able to grasp something after he wasn't able to. But you know, just one of those things you have to kind of kind of work with. If I remember, I think that was one of those cases where he was asked to. <laughs> You know, quote unquote, kill the Flash. You know, because of the. A Flash has to die in every crisis.
0: Yeah, because. With everything that happened with Bart. Yeah,
1: I'm trying to remember exactly I mean, when Bart showed up, too.
0: He, I mean, he was killed in, like, in the lead up to Final Crisis. Yeah. And if anything, Final Crisis brought back Barry. And then. You get the impression that the same thing, and this happens later on in Infinite Crisis, but turns out to be, oh no, it's actual, it's a a double switch. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Flash is always treated poorly in some manner when it comes to a crisis. And so after this, they show Metropolis, and Batman is visiting to discuss with Superman what he's witnessed. And this is on the tail end of, I think it was, Man of Steel 3. Um, suddenly Metron shows up to break the news. They don't actually show him breaking the news because it cuts back to wave rider and Hunter. And they are visiting 5,100 AD now. And we see Hal Jordan green lantern attempt attempting to stop the entropy wave there. The citizens there pulled him from time where he was pure versus the time he wasn't as Hal fails to stop the wave Hunter realizes how similar this is to another case in history. As both Hunter and Hal get overtaken by the entropy, Hunter tells Waverider to check the chronoscopes for a crisis. Waverider slips back into the time stream as the timeline dissipates at that point too. And as he surfs through it, he notices an anomaly in the time stream. Uh, quickly, we see a quick little point with Hawkman taking out Vandal Savage. Um, however, as he does it, he starts to split apart. And now, Vandal Savage is surrounded by six different looking Hawkmen.
0: Uh, yeah, the, the this, uh, that was actually one of my favorite p- parts from the. <laughs> Not because it, it's uh, I just like I, I love I like Hawkman as a character, the way it's played, where he is just it's basically just surround sound times six.
1: <laughs> yeah, and Vandal's like the only one who actually notices it. Dr. Mist can feel something going on in the timeline. He can feel it as an immortal, but he's also seeing blips of other Dr. Mists popping into his reality, and he decides the layman must be summoned. Um, I think he's a character from Primal Force, but I don't know if he's existed before that or not. So, I don't know. Kyle Rayner, Green Lantern, is still reeling from the death of his girlfriend Alex when Metron and Superman show up. Uh, The plan is for GL to project Superman to the rest of the earth heroes for help. And he does that. And Superman explains the situation to all the heroes. And this announcement is kind of played throughout the mainline books as well. But after that announcement, Metron heads out to speak with the specter and doesn't get the help that he was seeking out Um, (laughs) the specter says that he doesn't help with quote unquote natural disasters and basically tells Metron to hit the bricks. And so the end of zero hour, number four ends at vanishing point wave rider heads over to the chronoscope and asks it to access this crisis event that Hunter had told him about. And it pops it all up. And wave rider is informed of the events of crisis on infinite earths, something he was not aware of pr- previously. And so you just see this horror on his face as he realizes that there used to be whole other universes and they all died. And only the linear men were aware of the crisis and the severity of it. And now, apparently, they are not the only ones. And then this leads to zero. And this issue starts with the Justice Society joining Hawkman after his capture of Vandal
0: Savage. (laughs) Heavy sigh. I know know where this is going.
1: (laughs) So yeah, Savage is muttering about these multiple Hawkmen that disappeared. And Alan Scott is questioned about his new costume and younger appearance. And suddenly, Vandal disappears in a flashing pain of agony. Wave Rider shows up, concerned how nobody told him about this crisis, as he continues to hold the costume of the Flash that died. He tells the Justice Society that time isn't just...
0: Apparently I'm dying from the end back dying. That's (laughs) the word I
1: was trying to type. I mistyped it there. That time isn't just dying from the end backwards, but it's also going forward in time too, from the beginning of time. And so. To explain Vandal Savage, Waver says that when the century that he was originally born in dissolved away, he died, too, in this era. Of course, then you have to ask, how does humanity in general still exist if all of our ancestors are being wiped out in the past? But it's time travel, and I'm just going to ignore that. Because, <laughs> like, most time travel stories are something you just kind of have to just take a deep breath and just kind of roll with it.
0: Uh, I, don't even... mean to, I don't mean to de- derail the podcast again, but I saw in in parentheses how, just how, how happy you were to see the, t- the time travel effects. And Dan Jurgens, Jer- uh, when during the interview with uh, Dan Jergens, Oh mm-hmm. I loved his explanation of why he wanted he wanted to do that. He does that with every time <laughs> travel story he he gets to do.
1: Yeah, I'm not it, I'm it, not like, joking. Like anytime I see a time travel story with him doing it, I have to see those rainbow streaks. I love the look of those so much.
0: It's adding extra oomph, extra pizzazz to the story.
1: It does. I think they're so cool looking. I mean, Waverider in general, I think, does it pretty much any time he shows up. I mean, Waverider is just another character. I just like his design. So from there, Waverider touches Jay Garrick, um, which flashes the fate of the Flash that died in the 64th century. Um, we then see Vanishing Point. Um, Extant has arrived and taken out the Linearmen. And then <laughs> Flashes back to the Justice Society, uh, who are discussing how to proceed Dr. Fate feels that the answer lies outside of the time stream vanishing point, and so he transports all of the heroes except for two. And he decides that he's going to take Hawkman and I don't know if it's Hawk Girl or Hawk Woman at this point, um, to where he needs them to be. Next, we see Superman and Metron as they fly towards the meeting place for all the heroes, and they run into Impulse on the way and impulsus is trying to escape from some raptors who have bled into this era before tricking them by phasing through a wall, causing them just to... And so he joins the party since he is on the search for his cousin, the Flash. Quick blip to outside the time stream again. Uh, we see a white door, and the time trapper pops through with Rock from the Legion of Superheroes. Um, trapper reveals himself to be the older version of Rock, and they end up getting... Um, I feel like that's the Time Trapper's thing. It's like whenever they decide to reveal him, it's whoever the character is they're talking to at that point. Next, we are in New York City. All of the heroes start showing up, including a very pregnant Power Girl. Uh, big double page splash of a number of heroes showing up to go over their plans. And they decide Superman will be their leader. Flashback to Vanishing Point. JSA uh, have arrived, but they are immediately blasted by Extant. Uh, we then cut over to <laughs> Wave Rider and the Hawk team. I'm just going to call them that since I don't know if it's a girl or a woman. Again, one of those reasons I don't like the Hawk books typically is so that I get so confused about who's who. Uh,
0: right? If it helps right now, it's... Actually, no, it doesn't help at all because the Omniverse <laughs> has literally anything and everything is as canon.
1: And thus the problem.
0: <laughs> In the Hawkman issue like in Rubber Van Ditty's Hawkman uh, series, it reverted back to the 1940s version, like that finale I mentioned. Mm. So I imagine it was Hawkman, and Girl. If oh, I'm no, wrong, no. listeners just tell me. <laughs>
1: yeah, as they ride through the time stream, Uh, They see other iterations of the two flying through (laughs) the time stream as well um, as different anomalies due to the original crisis. And so all of these different Hawk people that are flying through the time stream, they're just one of the chronal disruptions in it. Uh, But they're all converging from one entity that started it all. And we see a fight between this giant Hawk creature, Fighting another Hawkman character, who I believe was the Hawkman in the main books at that time, or something—I I don't know. I tried going back and reading the Zero Hour tie-in here, and I was completely confused. Uh, so, as Hawkman, Hot Girl jump in to assist this Hawkman out. A chronal blast occurs, fusing all four characters together. Metron shows up and announces that's not a death, but a birth—the birth of a new Hawkman character—and we see this new Hawkman kind of looming. Kind of shadowed out so you don't get a clear look at him um, to be revealed a little later. And poor hot girl. I <laughs> I don't know what this means for her. Is she now fused in with Hawkman now? I don't don't really know <laughs> how that worked out, but the HQ of Legion now, Vril Docs, knows that the universe is contracting and sends out a probe into the time stream to investigate. We then get over to New Genesis, where High Father can only find death and entropy in the cosmos. He is afraid because he feels the end is coming for everything that is and ever has existed. Back to the heroes, including some of the anomalies, such as Alpha Centurion and Barbara Gordon Batgirl. They notice some stuff happening, such as Maxima's outfit changing on the fly. And then this new Hawkman shows up with Metron and Wayrider. Wave Rider details the problem at hand that entropy is eating through time. The original crisis is to blame. He basically goes on to explain that it never fully settled, and all of the shock waves have been sent out from that event, creating a number of these anomalies to exist, such as the different Hawkmen that were existing. And so, as they all come to terms with heroes failing, such as Hal and Wally. Uh, Aquaman wonders if someone is behind it all, and Wave Rider gets a realization that it could be possible someone is masterminding everything. And so we cut back to Vanishing Point as the JSA take the fight to Extant. <sighs> Alan, I think this is the part that probably hurt you a little bit.
0: <laughs> well, a certain a little bit. Uh, shortly, is it the next issue. Have... Well, no. Uh, shortly, I'm going to have a. Mention that JSA thing.
1: Okay. So yeah, JSA take the fight to Extant. Adam is the first to go down as a chronal blast kills him. Another blast tears through fate, causing his helmet to come off and the owners to split. Wildcat and Sandman attack from behind, but Extant quickly eliminates the rejuvenation spells that kept them young. And now they're old with Wildcat having a heart attack in the heat of the moment. It's here that Wave Rider realizes that someone is at Vanishing Point, and he disappears to help out the GSA. And Extant forces the remaining GSA members to age as well, except for Alan Scott, who's protected from his ring, uh, protected by his ring. Um, even at their age, Our man and Doctor Midnight try to help <laughs> and leap in to fight Extant, but um, Extant forces them to keep aging. And Our man and ultimately passes away as well okay new york oh sorry
0: am i allowed to bring up something that happened like six years later sure or no 10 years later actually uh in jeff john's uh jsa run there was a storyline called out of time that features uh extant and mainly rex tyler it's uh, out of time, and at that point there were it was Rex Tyler, Rick Tyler, his son, and then the android, our Man, and they sort Jeff Sean sort of, as you said, he doesn't let the things from the nineties die.
1: <laughs> no,
0: as they do a little a little what timey wimey stuff. And change things as the hour man that dies in zero hour is ultimately the android version of our man so yeah the more you know <laughs> about comics will make you an even bigger nerd on the internet
1: <laughs> that's a story outline on Diego go back and read i haven't read that one in probably like
0: well, it's all on J- on DC Universe Infinite.
1: Yeah, I really liked Jeff Johns, which that's not even the last time he kind of touched on that part of the story. Like uh, back when him and Juergens were doing the Booster Gold series right after uh, 52 ended, they had yeah. that one issue, Booster Gold number zero, where they're going back in time and they run across Parallax and accident really quick. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and they're like nope 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 we don't need to be here and they just kind of keep going
0: <laughs> yeah I remember how that was the issue the issue with uh, during the 52 pickup arc uh, Matt Mobley like how it was one of his favorite he wasn't big into comics but he really liked that the way that story was told <laughs> like him failing repeatedly to save uh, Barbara Gordon from Joker
1: then it had to be a casualty of Flashpoint.
0: Yeah, man. But Booster Gold got to be on Smallville. <laughs> and then there then there was there's so much hope for Booster Gold. There was there's gonna be a TV show at at um sci fi channel. There was gonna be at one point a movie with him and uh, Blue Beetle. And then once Andrew Kreisberg uh, got me Too'd, it all went away. But if that was the co- if it, if it, if that was the cost, I'm fine with it.
1: He is still the greatest hero no one knows, <laughs> or however that tagline went.
0: Yeah, and uh, like just I just love the whole, uh, people always getting like, I thought he were Green Lantern. <laughs>
1: So the issue kind of starts ending um, back in New York. We start seeing a city materializing in the sky from the future. Timelines are starting to merge at this point. And then Alan Scott attacks Extant, but Extant forces the rain to lose its charge and Waverider protects the rest of the JSA in a stasis field. Waverider decides to face Extant before taking them all to safety. But Extant has a secret. He lifts off his mask and Wave Rider now stares into his own face, which takes us to zero hour number two. And so Extant is monologuing at this point. Um, he has the power to make the universe disappear and it's Waverider's fault. He's able to manifest the power that existed with Hawk and Dove and now Wave Rider to combine them all to do what he needs to do. And so as Wave Rider attacks, Extant instead casts them all back to where they came from as he proceeds to prepare for future battles. And so he heads back into Vanishing Point to rally his defenses. Back in New York, the heroes decide to tackle the problem of this future city lowering onto, this, onto the city. Um, and so as they all rush towards it, Metron uses his chair to summon a boom tube. And with the energy of heroes like Superman, the Ray, Emerald Dragon, and Captain Atom, Uh, They're able to strengthen the boom tube and pull the city back to its right time. And so as they all head back, Wave Rider and JSA have now arrived. Martian Manhunter and Amazing Man carry some of them to the hospital while Jay Garrick tears off the lightning bolt off his shirt, which I didn't realize that's how that worked. And Alan Scott gives Kyle Rayner his ring and they're calling it quits. They're essentially retiring at this point. For now, at least. And so the Hero Society to tackle the problem at each end of the time stream. Metron will lead the Outsiders, Legion of Superheroes, Superman, Captain Adam, Metamorpho, and Wonder Woman to travel to the 30th century where that's being destroyed. And suddenly, they are attacked by Extant's forces, which are other characters from alternate timelines, including like Red Wing, Kilowatt, and some other Team Titan members that Mirage knows. And soon, Terra and Mirage seem to be getting under the command of Extant as well, based on the communicators that they're wearing. Next, we see Dr. Mist being surrounded by the layman, and he disappears just like Vandal Savage did. Uh, We then cut to New York City Hospital, with Wildcat and Sandman having been saved, but Dr. Midnight did not make it. Jay is frustrated that they didn't do enough specifically by requesting help from the one friend who used to be a part of the GSA and he is going to go find him. And that's the specter power girl starts going into labor and apparently the baby has powers too, because a force field is put around her and they think that it's because the baby knows she's in danger. Now we go into the distant past where characters like the Ray Superboy, green lantern, anima, Donna Troy, Impulse, and Nightwing join Waverider as they try to come up with a plan. More of Extant Reinforcements show up, featuring other Titan members. However, Extant shows up and fires a blast at Donna Troy, but Kyle Rayner jumps in the way. Wave Rider tries to fight Extant, but Extant Blasts him. He takes off his mask again and he's Hank Hall because he isn't that Extant yet. Time travel. <laughs> The future Extant sits at Vanishing Point, watching it all and remembering how this all went down. Waverider sends the other heroes back to their own time, but the old Extant puts his hand into Waverider and drains his very being. His face transforms into Waverider as that timeline ceases to exist. However, just before it winks out, we see Alan's ring dropped by Green Lantern on the ground. A shadowed hand picks it up as a trophy. And then back at the end of time, the heroes have vanquished the fighters and captured Mirage and Terra, who have felt compelled to attack everybody. Metron has figured out how to stop the fissure. They toss his Mobius chair into the entropy, and then Captain Adam fires his energy into the chair. This causes a boom tube to open, and the weight of the universe and time stream pull into a singularity and heals. From there, we see Rock and Time Trapper show up and send the heroes all back to their own time. Skip again to the current era. Um, all the other heroes are fighting Extant's forces. We see Guy Gardner's armor start shifting into a gun at his request just as the villains start disappearing and the heroes from the past and the future return. Guy mentions that the time stream seems malleable, so it's possible to bring the core back. And then we flash back to Vanishing Point. Both extents fuse into each other as he wonders how and why his entropy rift was closed in the 30th century. We then see a green glow in the 30th century again. Then we see a green glow in the 30th century again, and the character opens the rift once more. He then tosses Alan's ring to the ground and smashes it beneath his foot as the universe in that time disappears. And that is the end of Zero Hour number two and that will be where we cut off today's episode because we still have three more issues to talk about at length along with a few mentions of the tie-ins and our typical random trivia section um so this is a good stopping point for us alan do you have any comments regarding the first three issues of zero hour
0: yeah um so back when the Arrowverse was going through, was doing their Crisis event, or or when when that got announced, a, a comic book podcast I was on at the time, we were reading Crisis in the and basically the idea that a Crisis is magnitude, it's pretty hard for it'd be pretty hard for something like that to just be over in an instant, and the idea that little well, aftershocks would still be emanating in the timeline because of it is actually a really good idea. I agree. I think it's like a a really cool idea to
1: have the outcome of probably one of the biggest events in comics to still kind of ripple out. You know, it's like when you drop a stone like that, drop a stone in a thing of water, like where it lands will eventually calm out, but you'll still see the ripples coming out from it long after it's sunk to the bottom. And so I kind of, I think Zero Hour is just one of those ripples. Like, it makes sense that it was a problem. And for them to try and correct yeah, and some also, of the things that stem from it is perfect.
0: There's also a moment or, or a scene like a scene where, that, that you, didn't, you didn't mention, but I remember it, just because it's one of probably, probably my favorite things to come out of Zero Hour. And that is the, or so, it's something that spun off from Zero Hour, and that's Starman. Oh, mm-hmm. Like, I always confuse which one is that. Uh, Ten night. Ten night is one of the is among the JSA members to get aged up, and not Jack, his other son, who basically he just says, "I'm retiring. I want you to take up the mantle," and then we get to see one of the best series from throughout the nineties, like from the nineties just take flight and you just got to love it. I mean, I got, I got to love it. What I don't love, however, is how Starman has still not been reprinted. Like it's, it's out of stock to the point where I think you you may have seen it, but I posted a, um, a link to the, on eBay, the outrageous Mm -mm. prices people were asking for. Not even not even just the whole set, but just one omnibus. It's 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 the the true burden of liking comic books. <laughs> it's to deal with the the monsters out there.
1: Yeah, I will never uh be taken advantage of.
0: I mean I those same monsters I dealt with to Clark to the eight issues of static shock from new
1: 52
0: mm. and even then they, they, but they, they, they lied, <laughs> but I, I, I digress.
1: So yeah, we will cut off there for zero hour. Um, and then for episode two, we'll go over zero hour. Number one, Zero Hour number zero, and then kind of the epilogue in Green Lantern number zero. Um, And then we will also talk about some of the tie ins that actually had some sort of impact or some direct relation to the events in Zero Hour. But obviously, because it crossed over with all the monthly books, there's a lot. And so I did not (laughs) I'm not going to touch on all of them, but there are some ones that I do want to mention So yeah, we will. And so please, if you like what you hear, spread the word of the podcast, rate and review, share with your friends, all that good stuff. Get the word out there. And we greatly appreciate it. Don't forget to follow Hypertimed Podcast on Twitter at Hypertimepod. If you have questions or topic suggestions, let us know. And I will get to work on researching that. If you like video games, that is mostly what VGU.TV does, which is what HyperTime is affiliated with. So check us out both on our website, VGU.TV, but also follow us on our Twitter at VGU underscore TV. Uh, we have video game podcasts as well, such as Players Club Podcast and Win, which is the weekend news. We have a YouTube channel at VGU.TV. It's not VGU.TV. It's what? Just VGU TV. I get confused because yeah. I think I still have our old one subscribed to as well, so I always see two when I go through it.
0: Oh, I I technically see three because oh, I do have, you? There's, there's the original, <laughs> there's our current one, and back when we were trying to make all the branding work, Emmett yeah. uh, took the old the, the account for the one we're not allowed to speak of, and technically that that exists as. only 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 technicality exists as VGU.TV. (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's the other one I have. I just need to unsubscribe from it at this point. So, yeah, follow me on Twitter at J-M-I-L-L-E nine-nine. Alan, where all can they follow you at?
0: I am actually taking a break from Twitter. About a week ago, uh, some, some bad stuff happened to someone to a content creator who did did not deserve any of it.
1: Uh, I think I and, know who you're talking about.
0: Yeah. Uh, Emmett and I t- talked about it on the podcast. And honestly, this may, this may be the best thing I've ever done because I've felt a lot better. Like I don't feel the need to check it. Even though I'm, I was, I'm kind of missing out on game deals.
1: Oh, mm-hmm. Well, I'm telling you, just go check out like cheap ass gamer or Slick Deals, since yeah. that's basically where a lot of that stuff comes from, anyways.
0: If I ever do return, they can follow me at the Alamir. That's A L the A L A N M U I R. Yeah, I don't
1: blame you for taking a break at all. It's so easy just to kind of. It's like it's an addiction. You like get addicted to having to keep up to date with everything and everybody and. So much of social media in particular is just.
0: Yeah, it, feel, it feels like some bad metagame. Like, oh, I got to keep scrolling. I, I, why? I don't know. I guess got to keep scrolling. I see, I see what happens with this person in their shoes.
1: hmm. And that's the thing. Yeah, I, I've tried harder to get, you know, I recently put out a request for like kind of funny best friends and all that because I. For the most part, I feel that community is pretty, pretty kind with one another. It's not perfect, but (laughs) I'm trying to surround myself with better people online (laughs) than what I was. But, of course, there are cases like there was one earlier in the week with uh, two people I followed. And I'm like, well, mm, I guess I'm going to cut this one out who has a bit more people speaking up about them than (laughs) the other one does. And it's just, uh, you know. Why can't people just be decent?
0: Honestly, um, if there's a group of uh, kind of funny best friends, the uh, six one indie folks. Yep. They are great people.
1: Yeah. I think I pretty sure I'm subscribed to their podcast. I think I recently started that up. I think I'm, I think I'm following them all on Twitter. You know, Kyle Stevenson does the trophy room. I follow Joe as well. But yeah, I mean, there's just typically a lot of good people. They always try to kind of support one another. And that's the community I like to, I I think is pretty good. Like I said, it's not perfect. There's definitely things that come up and around every once in a while that you kind of look at and you're like, come on, people. Like, yeah, we we should be better better than this. Yes. (laughs) But yes, with that, follow us. We're good people. We try and be good. we like making friends too so as long as you're not a disgusting human being i'm perfectly fine with being a friend with you and with that uh we will bid you all adieu we will see you further down the hypertonle take care bye
0: This has been a VGU.TV production. For all of the hottest hot takes and other opinions on video games, music, and a lot more, tune in to VGU.TV.